0: Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome. And we've got a wonderful program lined up today, and we're going to be talking with Stuart Roth from the American Center for Law and Justice. Stuart serves as senior counsel to the American Center for Law and Justice and the European Center for Law and Justice. Stuart attended law school with chief counsel at the ACLJ, Jay Sekulow. They have practiced law together since 1980. Stuart is nationally known and recognized constitutional lawyer and has given his legal analysis and commentary on hundreds of national television and radio broadcasts. Stewart has participated in 13 cases that have been argued before the United States Supreme Court, including the landmark decisions in Mergens and Lamb's Chapel that altered the landscape of religious liberties litigation. Stewart has also been involved in defending Israel before the International Criminal Court in The Hague. And the best thing that I can say about Stewart, it's a Yiddish word and it's mensch, which is a wonderful human being with noble character and integrity and... Best of all for me, Stuart's been my good buddy for about 30 years. And so, Stuart, it's great to talk to you today.
1: Good to be with you again, Aaron.
0: Yeah, so, you know, there's lots of critical issues right now for Israel. As we, We've we talked consistently about, you know, what's happening with the Abraham Accords. And a quick glance through articles and Israeli news outlets this week, there's just this rising grave concern about what will happen in uh, a Biden-Harris administration so the, should the Electoral College you know, bring him into office. And the issues are what's going to happen with the settlements in Judea, Samaria, uh, the issue of global anti-Semitism. And my estimation, Stuart, Trump, in his administration, I think he's been the most pro-Israel president in my lifetime, moving the U.S. Embassy from... Tel Aviv up to Jerusalem, uh, the issue of the Abraham Accords, which I know you and Jay and the American Center were involved in in helping crafting these accords, and the the whole issue of uh, the peace in the Middle East, these these different uh, nation states that are building these bonds now with with Israel. Uh, so, what do you think, man? What's what's going to happen? What's going to change in a Biden if he's elected?
1: Yeah, um, Aaron, I, you know, for for those of us that. Uh, Work in this uh, region of the world, like we do at the ACLJ, and Israel is one of our primary issues that we address. These last f- few uh, years, the last four years, have been uh, unbelievably, you know, fantastic. It's it's mm. been it's been a real reprieve from prior administrations, even even to some extent the Bush administration. Um, for four years, we didn't hear about illegal settlements. We didn't hear uh, Israel criticized at every turn. We saw Israel completely defended um, at the United Nations, especially when Nikki Haley was there, and she did an unbelievable job. I mean, these folks, uh, if you would have put us in charge uh, of the administration, uh, myself and Jay and the ACLJ team, we couldn't have done a better job. They advocated on behalf of Israel like we have never seen an administration. You know, for example, this. recently we saw that the uh the uh, iranian nuclear scientist was was assassinated uh in iran he was one of the most heavily guarded iranian citizens military leaders he was taken out uh by whom? we sort of don't know yet uh everybody says it's israel may maybe maybe not nobody really knows israel's not taking responsibility um but usually in a case like this, on a different type of administration here in the United States, they'd start calling it illegal, uh, against international law. They'd call out the Israelis if the Israelis were suspected, but not this administration. So they've given Israel a pass, and it's only a pass to defend themselves and their sovereignty. So we would expect, if there's a new administration coming in, if there's a Biden administration, and don't forget, he was the vice president for Obama so what are we looking at we would look at a return to obama era um, foreign policy towards israel which would be heavily on the critique side of israel's actions and activities
0: right yeah this this week you know just preparing for the program today the articles in the jerusalem post included some of these topics will a president biden lift the sanctions against iran Will a President Biden renew the Iran nuclear deal? He's already said, as I've listened to him the last couple of weeks, he's already said if he's you know, elected, he will uh, renew and you know, reestablish this Iran nuclear deal. And just this morning, Stuart, I was reading on uh, the Jerusalem Post, the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, Iran is already installing new advanced centrifuges to make uranium. And I was privileged on March 3rd, right before, you know, coronavirus broke out to give an opening prayer at a White House uh, briefing on anti-Semitism. And there were three speakers, Avi Berkowitz, who was instrumental in writing the Abraham Accords. And I know you and Jay were involved in that, Stuart. And then Elon Carr, State Department Head of Anti-Semitism Task Force for President Trump. And then another speaker from the National Security Agency, and uh, I asked him a question in this briefing: What was it that brought the Obama administration into this this terrible deal, this this nuclear deal with Iran? Was it appeasement? Was it anti-Semitism? Was it naive ignorance? And he answered me. He said all three. And he said they believed a lie that he. They would give Iran billions and billions and billions of dollars. They would play nice with the rest of the Middle East and especially with Israel. So, Stuart, uh, you and the ACLJ were involved in crafting the Abraham Accords. And so what does a restart of this Iran nuclear deal mean for Israel? What does it mean for all the gains we have made in the Middle East peace process so far?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Aaron, it's... um... (laughs) It's, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a setback, quite frankly. Um, what we see is Iran is obviously uh, bent on getting uh, nuclear weapons. And, uh, and and unless they are um, completely, completely um, torn down in terms of their nuclear ambitions, uh, they will get them just like North Korea got them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there was a misguided uh, approach by the Obama administration. Uh, It's the same kind of misguided approach and analysis that has been used to um, take a look at the Middle East and to see what parties they can possibly bring together and what carrot sticks they can, you know, hang out there and who is going to jump at what sort of opportunity. And the reality was is that the Iranians were never going to give up their quest for nuclear weapons. In fact, it wasn't that a deal with iran uh was a bad idea it was that particular deal and of course that particular deal uh had so many loopholes in it in that we would be releasing you know billions and billions and billions of dollars to the iranians and they would use that money to actually build nuclear weapons and store them in military facilities that were off limits to inspection so it was it was you know it was really a catastrophic deal. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I put most of the blame on John Kerry. You know, the reality is the way Washington works is that, you know, the individuals that are involved in a certain portfolio and a certain project really have most of the information. And a lot of other people don't have all of the information, all of the uh you know, dotted I's and cross T's. And it's not like everybody knows the entire scope of what's going on because John Kerry had lied so many different times about the nature and quality of the Iran deal. And then when everybody saw it and it was opened up, it didn't contain a lot of the protections that we were sold that it had. So Mm -hmm. what we have going forward, I think, uh, will be a similar type of approach but I think, as you can remember, most of the senators, and this is really important that conservatives <laughs> maintain their position in the Senate, uh, most of the senators uh, were, were, were not really warm and receptive to the nuclear deal. And that's why it wasn't a treaty, because in order for it to be a treaty, it would have had to have Senate approval. So it was merely an executive order. And because it was an executive order, President Trump was able to nullify it when he became president so it didn't really have a lot of bipartisan support it didn't have enough bipartisan support to be a treaty and i would expect the same time around it's going to get a lot of pushback uh it's going to be popular in some camps but i think most in the u.s senate uh are really skeptical of another iran deal that being said it's going to be on the table it's going to be discussed and it could be very problematic. So we have to be very vigilant in understanding and getting the accurate information about what's going to go on if we have a Biden administration vis-a-vis the Iran nuclear capabilities. Yeah, you
0: know, when that that deal was signed back in 2015, uh, I thought it had really biblical proportion um, issues involved with it. And in the book of Esther, Haman the the man that hated all the Jewish people and uh, King Ahasuerus, King of Persia, and Persia, of course, is modern-day Iran, they signed a deal to annihilate all the Jews in the known world and basically, they were going to literally wipe out every Jew on the map just as Iran has claimed if they go nuclear, they will wipe out the Jewish people. And interestingly, in the book of Esther, the deal was signed on the 13th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar, Nisan, and What's interesting is when President Obama signed this nuclear agreement with President Rohini of Iran, exact same day, Stuart, the 13th of Nissan. On our calendar, it was April 2nd, 2015. And I wrote an article about this. It's in World Net Daily. You can look this up in the audience. It's called the Esther Connection. And it just goes through all the really strange connections between this nuclear deal and the Book of Esther. So I, I think we're kind of in those you know, biblically important days where we're seeing this this uh, Persian res- regime once again uh, sign a deal for the annihilation of the Jewish people. And just, you know, last week, the assassination of this top military scientist, Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, in the article in the Jerusalem Post this week, it's entitled The Anatomy of Iran Appeasers and Bash Israel Firsters. And the article quotes the New York Times Iranian officials have always maintained that their nuclear ambitions are for peaceful purposes and not weapons. And Obama's spy master Brennan, uh, said, you know, if this was a Mossad hit, this was a criminal act and highly reckless. And Brennan orchestrated the hit on Osama bin Laden, also orchestrated the drone assassinations and said, uh, President Obama should harness every element of American power to protect the safety and security of the American people. Iran says that America is the big Satan and Israel is the little Satan, and they're determined to wipe Israel off the map should they acquire nuclear capability. So America is allowed to defend herself, according to Brennan. But when Israel takes out a nuclear terrorist scientist, it's a criminal act. So, Stuart, do you think there's a double standard here in the way that we treat Israel in their own self-defense?
1: Well, there's been a double standard regarding uh, Israel, the existence of Israel, its self-defense uh, since, since the state of Israel uh, w- w- was formed and created. Uh, so that's really nothing new. I mean, the fortunate thing is, Aaron, is that a lot of things have changed since uh, eight years of the Obama administration. First of all, Israel is always going to do what Israel needs to do in its self-defense. So even if you have a critical administration uh, coming up, Israel's going to do what it has to do. The other thing that's a lot different between now and eight years ago is that now the the Sunni Arab world, and we all know that the Arab world, the Muslim world is divided into Sunnis and Shiites, and the majority of Arab countries are Sunni. The Shiite countries, the majority uh, Shiite countries are Iran and Iraq, but the Sunni countries have really kind of had enough of Iran. Mm. Iran is their existential threat. And so they've kind of teamed up with Israel, uh, some of them covertly behind the scenes, some of them overtly. And so Israel has some friendly neighbors that assist them in some of the uh, intellectual uh, uh, information that they need, the human intelligence they need to defend themselves. So the landscape during the Trump administration has favorably changed towards Israel. And Israel is is, is well-stationed to protect itself if there's a Biden administration.
0: I want to catch this Discussion. I want to talk about the twelfth Imam on the other side, Stuart. But as we're going to the break, I want to let our audience know that we have a matching challenge going on this month, and you can double your giving to Israel team up to twenty-eight thousand dollars, for dollar, and help Israel team in their mission to turn the tide of uh, the alarming rise of anti-Semitism on evangelical college campuses. And for a gift of hundred dollars this month by the end of the year. We'll send you an autographed copy of our new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What Can Be Done to Stop It. It's a critically important book. Stuart has written a chapter and Jay has written a chapter and we'll talk about that as well on the other side. Hey, this is Aaron Free and we've got a matching challenge this month, the month of December, and you can double your giving to help Israel team and our mission to turn the tide of the rising, alarming decline of uh, support for Israel on Evangelical College campuses, you're giving dollar for dollar up to $28,000 of foundation has invested uh, in our mission. And if you give a gift of $100 this month, we'll send you an autographed copy of our new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What Can Be Done to Stop It. It's a critically important book. 16 world-renowned authors from the world of sports, law, academia, Israel advocacy, both Jews and Gentile authors in this book. All Defenders of the Jewish People. Uh, Some of the authors include Stuart Roth, who's on the program with us today from the American Center for Law and Justice. Jay Sekulow, Chief Counsel of the American Center for Law and Justice. Coach Bruce Pearl, coach of men's basketball at Auburn University. Coach Dale Brown, uh, Shaquille O'Neal's coach at LSU. Dr. Marlene Yahalom from Yad Vashem. And this month, if you'll go to israelteam.org, And go to the donate section. And for a gift of $100 or more, this foundation will match your giving dollar for dollar. And you can go to Israelteam.org to the donate section. And uh, you can help us in our mission to turn the tide of this rising anti-Semitism. It's hard to believe, but so many of our evangelical college and colleges and universities are turning against Israel. So this book uh, addresses this issue and uh, it'll help uh, your students. You know, if you have students in your household that are wondering their role in God's restoration of Israel, this book will help them in that understanding. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel and You and our Our good friend, our guest today is Stuart Roth from the American Center for Law and Justice. Been a good friend for more than 30 years. We've kind of done life together, his family, my family. And uh, Stuart, we're we're talking about the rise of um, Iran once again and this resurgence of this nuclear deal. And one thing that puzzles me is... Is why Iran? It doesn't even seem like they care. I mean, they, they want to blow up the Middle East. The entire Middle East is is fearful of, of them going nuclear. So, why do you think it is that they're not afraid to die?
1: Uh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what their motives are, except for you know, having a nuclear weapon is one of those uh, one of those aspects of a, of, a, of a country's uh, dignity in that area of the world. And uh, if, if, if you have a nuclear weapon, you can threaten your neighbors. Uh, of course, the neighbors they really want to threaten are, are of course, Israel, but uh, really Saudi Arabia, some of the other Sunni countries. Uh, they, they want to reign supreme over the islamic world first and foremost Mm -hmm. actually it it, it's not so much israel i mean it is a lot israel it's a it's a lot america although the united states is not a a a threat for an iranian based missile to reach uh any american territory but the reality is is that they really want to reign supreme over all of the uh, other islamic uh and, and arab world and so that's primarily their goal. They also want to threaten Israel on a daily basis and they, they feel because Israel has nuclear weapons, which they've never admitted, but the entire world knows that uh, there is a nuclear arsenal in Israel. Uh, Iran feels in order for them to sort of compete on the world stage with Israel, they have to have nuclear weapons. The only difference is Israel doesn't threaten the world or their neighbors with annihilation. Iran does. And a lot of the reason Iran does it is the folks that run Iran, the theocracy, want to really embolden themselves to the Iranian citizens and give the Iranian citizens a source of pride, Mm -hmm. that we have a nuclear weapon, that we could destroy Israel, we could destroy Saudi Arabia, we are strong, we are powerful, and that's the way that they stay in power. So would they actually pull... The trigger would they actually launch a missile with a nuclear warhead? Well, I think they would know that would be uh, they would be annihilated for sure. So I'm not sure that they're that crazy. Uh, I think the the North Koreans are are, are probably a little bit more a up, up totem pole on the crazy scale, mm-hmm. but uh, I think they're doing it more for national pride than anything else, and to threaten everybody in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, yeah, the Shiite Muslims. You know their their uh, beliefs are different than the Sunni Muslims and the Shiites. They believe in the soon appearance of the twelfth Imam. His name is Hajat Allah Al Hasan Al Amadi. He disappeared in the tenth century. Uh, He's one of uh, you know Muhammad's uh, children's children, and um, they call it occultation that he's really in supernatural hiding place. And he will return when Shiite Muslims create chaos. So, you know, it could be this whole belief system. And, and uh, the former president was always quoting, uh, you know, about this 12th Imam and uh, their desire to bring him back through creating war and chaos. So there could be some religious aspects uh, to this as well.
1: Well, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I ran once their, their brand. Of of uh, Islam to basically uh, uh, spread it's evangelistic. Uh, they want the rest of the world under their umbrella, and the only way that they could foresee doing that is to be the most uh, uh, advanced military power in that region of the world. And I think again, um, there there is a there is a lot of talk always about. Um, Iran and Israel, and of course, Israel is, uh, you know, at 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 the top of the Iranian hit list in terms of uh, things that you know they they want to address as an Iranian government in terms of their threats. But I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that they're really trying to export their form of of Islam. They really want to take control of the holiest sites in Islam in Saudi Arabia. And those two are really the arch enemies. Saudi Arabia uh the, the most powerful Sunni uh is, Islamic country and Iran the most powerful Shiite Islamic country. Th- those are the two that are that are locked in this existential battle. And uh and so the nuclear weapons for Iran is, is is very important as a source of national pride and as a way to threaten the rest of the Islamic world
0: right and for for us in America remember when when uh, the Cuban missile crisis was so close you know Russia's importing nuclear warheads into uh, Cuba and that was an existential threat for us so for Israel they're facing an existential threat and, and I don't know I just don't think they're going to be able to live with a with a iran that's nuclearized what do you think
1: well i think the problem with uh, i I would i'm not concerned about iran attacking israel that wouldn't make sense even in the iranian mind because that would be instant annihilation for iran and i'm not i'm i i'm not thinking that they're interested in blowing up a a culture that has been around uh, that was a very admirable culture uh, hundreds of centuries ago uh, that has been around for you know a, a very very, very long time. What I think they would do is that they would export nuclear materials to to some of their uh, friends at Hezbollah and Hamas and some of their surrogates, because that's the way the world works in terms of uh, sharing of military arms and nuclear weapons. They use surrogates. So Iran doesn't go toe-to-toe with the Israelis. They send nuclear weapons to uh, to terrorist organizations like Hezbollah that's in in Lebanon on the border with Israel to use against Israel. To me, that's the threat is it getting into hands of third parties uh being supplied by iran and that's the way they create havoc in israel And that's why hezbollah is probably uh the most serious threat to israel because they're right on the lebanese border and they've been supplied with iranian weapons for decades now and they have hundreds of thousands of missiles that they can launch into israel and some of them are uh, fairly advanced because the iranians have some decent weapons that they've developed over the last couple of decades. So to me the concern and most people is Iran exporting their nuclear know-how and material to some of these surrogate terrorist organizations that would infiltrate Israel.
0: So one of my concerns, Stuart, is as we talk about the relationship the U.S. has with Israel, it seemed like during the Obama administration there was eight years of a cold war uh, when Prime Minister Netanyahu was in the country, spoke it before the Congress, and then Obama had him ushered out of the uh, the White House kitchen. So there was pretty poor relationship. Do you do you foresee that happening in a Biden Harris administration? The same kind of cold war?
1: Uh, no, I don't. I I mean, I, I listen. It's uh, it's it's going to look more like the Obama Biden administration if if we have a if we have a new new president uh, come come the end of January than the last four years, which as I said earlier in the program were, were just unbelievably made to order. Uh, for Israel, terrific administration for Israel, great working relationship with the Trump folks and Jared Kushner and his team. So uh, Biden's won't be nearly as good as we know that. Will it be better than Obama? I think it will be slightly better than Obama. And for the reason being that the facts on the ground have changed, Aaron, in the last four years, dramatically. Mm -hmm. The embassies in Jerusalem, the Golan Heights has now been recognized. The Arab countries are recognizing Israel, there's a warm peace going on in the Middle East. So Biden jumps into the fray at a different point in time. So I think it will be better than Obama, but not not nearly as good as the Trump administration, which really gave Israel the green light to be Israel, to protect itself, to defend itself, to expand its territories where needed for security reasons. So this administration uh, would be much more hostile, but I think better, Better than the Obama administration because that was uh, administration bordering on anti-Semitism. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful it'll be a little warmer, but it's not. It's not going to be nearly as uh, as fruitful as what we've seen in the four years of the Trump administration.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that uh, some some are saying that the embassy may be maybe move back to Tel Aviv? Do you foresee that happening?
1: no i don't i don't i don't think that would happen i think first of all it was president clinton uh when he was president that congress passed uh you know the, the resolution moving the embassy uh but it had been stalled for you know years and years and years because nobody had the courage to do it now that it's done it's successful all the other arab nations know that uh, jerusalem is the capital of israel so there's no surprise there
0: thanks so much for being with us Stuart. <laughs> you're a great friend and so uh involved in this whole process and and uh, we look forward this book that we've written together the casualty of contempt be coming out the first part of the year and if you'd like a signed copy of this book written by Stewart and jay seculo and and 16 authors you can go to israelteam.org to the donate section and for a hundred dollars or more this matching challenge this month uh, we'll send you an autographed copy of this powerful book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Rising Tide of Anti-Semitism, and What Can Be Done to Stop It. See you next week. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.